name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you. And I beg pardon of you for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. How many of you were familiar with that prayer? So it means you're familiar with the story of Fatima, correct? How many of you are at least familiar with the story of Fatima in, in basic part? The prayer that, that I prayed there tonight was the very first prayer that was taught at Fatima. When the angel of Portugal appeared to the children at the Covida era, um, she, he uh, knelt down and they prostrated themselves and he taught them this prayer and they prayed it over and over and over again. You know, next year we will be celebrating the 100th anniversary of Fatima. Um, I'm very excited about that. Um, but, you know, we actually are beginning the 100th anniversary celebration now because, again, the, uh, the angel appeared in the fall of, of 2016, or of 1916. So this is the 100th anniversary of the Fatima event. Um, it is, a, again, a great privilege to, uh, to be here tonight and to talk with you all. I've had the privilege, I think, on three or four other occasions of speaking here. So uh, hopefully we can give you some uh, new insights into Fatima. Uh, I've been studying about Our Lady of Fatima and the messages for over 20 years. I just had the great privilege of doing a 12-week, one-hour radio spot on Radio Maria um, on the different aspects of Fatima. And I have to be honest, I have a whole new respect for the uh, what I call the talking heads, those guys who do the radio shows for two, three, or four hours. Because um, I thought, no problem, I'll sit down in front of my computer, I'll do the Skype call, and just talk about our, you know, Fatima for an hour, no big deal. And I found out in a hurry that it takes a great deal of preparation to get ready for just one of those, just a one-hour show. So I did bring all my material up. I'm not going to be addressing all of that. Again, there are multiple ways in which we can talk about Fatima, okay? We can focus on Blessed Jacinta. The rumors are that she's going to be canonized next year, that her, uh, her paperwork has all been sent to Rome. Um, they're out of uh, Portugal, and now it's on the Holy Father's desk, evidently. Both miracles have been there. Everything's in place other than the signature of the Holy Father is what we're told, and, and I hope so, because Blessed Jacinta is my favorite. Uh, she's my favorite saint of all. She, as I like to tell people, she sits on my shoulder and she kind of keeps me in line because she developed this, this amazing devotion uh, to praying for the Holy Father and to praying for priests and for the conversion of sinners. She was the absolute um, pinnacle of what it means to be a spoiled child. She was the youngest, she was the cutest, and everyone loved her and she knew it and she would pout if she didn't get her way and all this kind of stuff and people didn't like to be around her until after the conversion. And it was even beyond uh, the Our Lady appearing, it was in July when she saw hell, that Jacinta took this radical turn the other way and said, you know, everything has got to be done for God and for the salvation of sinners. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We could talk about the angel and how the angel prepared the children to be able to receive this heavenly visit from our Blessed Mother. Uh, and again, there are, we could talk about Francesco, or, or we could talk about the secrets. We could talk about what it means for the Immaculate Heart of Mary to triumph and Maybe we'll get into that towards the end. But the angle that I've been working on over the last several years is not only does Mary teach the children with, through her words and through the prayers, but she also was teaching them the path to conversion by the events that took place. Okay, And so we're going to look at some of that today. And I do want to grab my notes for just a little bit. Keeping in mind that when we talk about the approved apparitions of, of Our Lady uh, by the Vatican approved, okay, um, she always has appeared at a time where there was a great need. And so we really need to kind of look at the, what she has delivered in every one of her visions, whether we go all the way back to Our Lady of Shilova when she appeared in Lithuania, to Our Lady Guadalupe, to the many uh, visions in France, uh, to Germany, to Belgium, 
and supposedly now even the, the approval of the local bishop in Argentina from the 1987 vision of our Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. Maybe some of you have seen those stories. But everywhere she's been, she's brought the same message. Prayer, penance, sacrifice, reparation, and conversion. And it's at a time, again, where the world desperately needed it. So let's look at a couple of these. Let's take a look at Rudabach. Again, keep in mind that that's where we get the miraculous medal. And it was during the, the, the height of the Enlightenment movement. And we see our Blessed Mother appeared in France there in Rudabach and La Salette and at Lourdes, all in a very tight time frame. But again, it's at a time where France was rejecting everything, you know, and, and, and saying that they become more enlightened and they don't need faith. And so we have the great struggles, if you've read the, read the story of, of Jean Vianney, the patron of a priest, and his journey to sort of overcome that, that, uh, that, that, that belief system, that philosophy of the day. And so what, again, she, she appeared and she says, prayer, penance, and conversion. She told them again, these are her words at Rudabach. There will be bad times to come. Misfortunes will come crashing down on France. The throne will be toppled. The whole world will be turned upside down by misfortunes of all kinds. But come to the front, to the foot of this altar. There, graces will be poured out on all those smaller greats who ask for them with confidence and fervor. So again, she's talking about what was going to happen, but then she said, here's the graces. And again, she comes bringing the grace. Um, there's a wonderful priest up north, uh, Father Dave Zink. Anyone familiar with Father Dave Zink? One of the smartest and holiest, humblest priests you'll ever meet. Um, again, brilliant. And when he was studying, working on his licentiate to be able to teach at a university, uh, he was working with the editor of the uh, Magnificat that some of you I, I saw have when you come in. Um, and he had this beautiful vision about Mary. And again, for us to really talk about Our Lady of Fatima, we need to understand her role and her position and her place. We just heard here at the vision of Ruta Bach how she said, come to the foot of this altar. In other words, inviting them to Christ. And that's what she's always doing. And that's what we see at Fatima. But Mary, as Father Dave Zink pointed out, received a singular grace at the foot of the cross at her second fiat. Her first fiat was when she said yes to the angel. Her second fiat was when she said yes to allowing her son to die on the cross. And when Father Dave said that, I kind of thought for a minute, well, does that mean that if Mary would have asked, he would have come down? And Father Dave said, yes, he would have. That's how much he loved Mary. But she would never do that. And so when she said yes to that second fiat, she received the singular grace, a grace bestowed only upon her. And this is awesome. Think about this for a minute. She is able to love us by grace with the same intensity that she loves her son by nature. You think about that as mothers. Could a mother love anyone more than they love their own children? And I asked this at church, and they're like, no, I couldn't. And it's hard for us to even think about that our moms could love us the same way that they, she loves the neighbor down the street or the person that's just walking by that nobody knows. But Mary received that singular grace to love us with the same love that she has for her son. Because when she views us, she can only see her son. And so she has this desire within her to constantly bring us to conversion. And so that's what we're going to look at here in the next few minutes as we look at the conversion of the children and therefore the model for us. And the very first step of conversion is for us to say, thy will be done, not mine. Okay, so we start talking a little bit about, again, when Mary appears, there's always a time of great need. We need to look at the history of, of Portugal. 
again, we're at the begin. We're in the middle of the World War II, World War One. Okay, uh, there's a great famine that has, or not a, a great economic collapse that has come upon them. Uh, we go all the way back to to like 1789 when the uh, Marquis de Pombal instituted this this aggressive persecution of the Catholic Church, and he was able to convince the king to write an edict that kicked all the Jesuits um, out of the country. Okay, and it took several years, many, many years for them to even be able to slowly start coming back. Um, but this persecution went on for about 100 years or so. And then in 1908, the king was assassinated. Or excuse me, in, in 1905, 1908, just a few years later, they established uh, the new republic. And the very first thing they did, five days after the institution of the republic, just a few years before a lady is going to appear, and they said that uh, they... they instituted what they called their version of the separation of church and state. And the uh, Alfonso Costa was the individual who wrote this bill, said that within two generations, Catholicism will be eradicated from Portugal. And the Pope immediately came in with this long letter condemning that separation of church and state. But again, this instituted again, reinstituted the persecution of the Catholic Church. Priests were afraid they were hiding Okay, and this is important. Keep, it, keep this in mind. The priests were constantly afraid that around every corner there was a spy for the government out to get them. And conversely, the government was afraid that, every, that the priests were out to overthrow them. Okay, so keep that in mind as we journey a little bit further into the story of Fatima. And again, we're going to do so through the lens of conversion. Okay, so we now have got to May of, 1913, uh, May of 1917. Okay? okay, so when our Blessed Mother appeared to the children, it was a uh, beautiful, sunny uh, Sunday afternoon, and part of the culture of the day was when children reached the age of about eight or nine, it was their responsibility to take the sheep up into the fields, okay? So the, Lucy had been making this journey for about a year, and Jacinta and Francesco, her two cousins, Jacinta really wanted to continue to stay near Lucia, and so she was able to convince her parents to let her go up as well. So the three of them would journey up through the hills, and has anyone actually been to Fatima? Okay. Do you remember there was a roundabout in the middle of the town with a huge brick wall that went up and there were big statues of the children? Okay, that was the meeting point. That's where the children from all the neighboring villages would come up. And if you can kind of remember, at the base of that, there was a little tiny, it looked like just a little pond or something. But it still is, it's, it's a natural spring. And that's where they would bring them from all the different villages. The children from all over would bring their sheep. They'd, they'd water there, then they'd go off to their different little fields. Okay? And so... That day, that beautiful sunny day, sunny day, they took them up to what is called the, uh, up to the Kovadai era, okay? There in the Kovadai era was just a large field. And think of it in terms of like a, a big backyard where you've sort of taken some uh, stones and you blocked off an area where you put a flower garden here and you block off an area here and you put some vegetables. You block off an area here. It was just all of these little blocked off areas by rocks that they had built up walls. And everyone in the village had a little spot there, and they would raise their vegetables to help feed them through the winter. But the sheep would sort of graze around the edge of it, and it was, again, very rocky. The children had to walk about a mile and a half, maybe two miles, from Algestriel all the way up to the Kovada era. And typically what would happen is if a storm popped up or something, they would try to get the sheep back home as soon as they could. Well, they see this flash, what they think is a flash of lightning. And so they begin to head back home, and as they come home, they come upon a azanera bush, a little whole milk tree there was going to be about yay tall. And on that, they saw the Blessed Mother. Now, just keep in mind, again, Francesco was able to see our Blessed Mother, but not here. And actually, there is a, a small 
uh, one of the writings that Lucia makes reference to is that in the very first vision is that Francesco did not even see Our Lady very clearly. He knew she was there, but he couldn't see her. And we'll talk about that just here in a moment. But then the other two, the other two girls could actually hear and speak, but Lucia did all the speaking. Okay? And the first thing she says is, is, who are you? And then she says, what do you want of me? Now, here's important. How many of you have ever worked with children? Teaching, youth groups, whatever. If the children come up to you and they say, you know, hey, can you do this for me? And you say, yeah, but later. Is there anything worse you can say to children than later? Because they're like every 30 seconds. Now? 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 What's the great joke when you're driving in the car? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are and they're not doing that to be mean. They really have no concept of time. When Lucia asked the question, what do you want of me? The very first step of conversion is saying, what do you, God, want of me? Spoken through this, or asked to this heavenly visit of the mother of God. She did not reveal herself as Mary. She said, I will tell you later. Come back for six consecutive months on the 13th of each day at this hour. And on that on the sixth time, I will tell you who I am. Again, there cannot be anything worse to tell a children, to, to tell a child, than wait for six months and then I'll tell you who I am and what I want of you. And in our own prayer life, many of us have probably said, you know, hey, I want to do what God wants. I want to do his will. What is it? Right? Or we're going to say we make the, uh, the effort, and we always do this around Lent. Lent's our favorite time for conversion. We get to Lent, we're like, man, I'm going to start Lent off really good this time. I'm going to make all of these sacrifices. I'm going to read extra for my Bible. I'm going to be attacked by a stand there. Um, you know, all these things we're going to do, and then we don't always sort of follow through with it, right? Again, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So again, this first lesson of Fatima, doing the will of God, is patience. God wants us to exercise, to demonstrate our love and our faith. You know, it's like he keeps using those beautiful stories of the persistence, the, the widow who kept coming and coming and coming, and finally what they gave in because of her persistence. That's how we show our love. You know, our parents just don't want us to clean our room once and say, look how good it was, I love you, and then never touch it again. They say, well, if you love me, you'll do a what? Every day. Or so forth, you know, and... Uh, same is true in a relationship. You just don't want to hear once. You want to hear over and over and over again that you're valued and you're treasured, but you also want someone to demonstrate that. And so the very first lesson of Fatima is just that, patience. The children made this pact when they finished there at the, uh, uh, at that, after the visit of our Blessed Mother, and she taught them a beautiful prayer. And again, I wish I had more time. Again, uh, we could go through the in-depth of, of all the different prayers but this final, what they call the five prayers of Fatima, this third prayer, it's called the Eucharist prayer. And our Blessed Mother had opened her hands and, and these beautiful light had enveloped the children. And they said, Lucia wrote in her, in her memoirs that time seemed to stand still. And all of a sudden, there was, our Blessed Mother says, what, I want you to pray the rosary every day for peace. Then she opened her hand, the grace hit them, and she didn't teach them with her words, but it was taught to them in, her, in their heart. Most Holy Trinity, I adore thee. My God, my God, I love you in the most blessed sacrament. Together, all three of them just started praying this prayer over and over and over again. There's a beautiful uh, group of nuns who uh, live in Columbus and east of Columbus called the Children of Mary. 
Has anyone seen them? They wear the black, white, and purple. They, they celebrate, and, and their, their promotion is a devotion to the Eucharist. And they pray this prayer at the end of Mass together. And it is so cool as a priest when you celebrate Mass and then you kneel with them and together with these this beautiful, beautiful fem, uh, female voices. And they say, my most holy trinity, I adore thee. My God, my God, I love you in the most blessed sacrament. Again, I encourage you to really understand what those words are saying. Calling upon the Trinity and our belief in the Eucharist taught by Mary. Sort of draws us back to think about the Eucharist and Mary, the, the great vision of Don Bosco. St. Don Bosco, the 19th century um, founder of the Salesian Order. And he had that vision of the, it's called the two pillars. And it was a vision of the giant ship that was being under attack constantly. It was on this real stormy sea, and there were two giant pillars. And one had the Eucharist on top, a smaller one had Mary on it. And they anchored the ship to those two pillars, and that was supposed to be the boat. The boat was the church. So again, we anchor ourselves to the Eucharist and to Mary. Again, that's uh, where this first one came. So the children made this promise. They said, look, when we get home, we're not going to tell anything to anybody. And they immediately looked at Jacinta, and they said, don't tell anybody. She says, I won't, I won't. Well, you know what happened. Soon as she got home, she went running up to her mother, and she said, Mom, we saw the beautiful lady. The beautiful lady is one of my most favorite phrases I've ever come across. It's so simple and so beautiful. Uh, I recently just had my home shrine through Our Lady of Schoenstatt dedicated, and it's called the beautiful lady. It's just, I mean, it's just so beautiful to think about that. And they were like, oh, you saw a beautiful lady. No, the beautiful lady. You know, and of course that started an onslaught of, of abuse for Lucia in particular. Her mother, uh, Maria Rosa, was one of the sort of the leaders of the village. Everyone sort of looked to her. They had gone through some really trying times and she was a very stern mother. And she was so embarrassed that her child would be lying. And she even said, well, why do you think, why would Mary ever appear to you? Why would the lady ever appear to you? You're, you're nothing but a little girl. There was even one account where she grabbed her by the hair and drug her, literally drug her, through the town, up the steps, into Father Ferreira's house, and said, Father, make her tell the truth. And so again, this, this abuse kept going on and on and on. The, everyone in the village, and you can imagine this, right? It's a very small village. Everyone knows each other. They would sit outside. There was no TV or anything like that. They worked together. They farmed together. They cooked together. They took care of each other's kids. If you had to go away, you would just go to your next, next door neighbors and send the kids in. They would spend all day there. There was a cistern right outside of, the, it's called the well, right outside of Lucia's house. And a lot of people would come there to draw the water. So they knew each other very, very well. Okay? Uh, it's like being up in West Milton. Uh, it, if, you, if I walk down the street, they say, he must be going to McDonald's. And I said, well, what was your first clue? You know, I kind of rubbed the belly. But good. One person laughed. All right. We're doing well tonight. All right. Um, so anyway, again, this onslaught started. And so Lucia's mother was very convinced that when we get to June, that there's no way the children would go back. For one primary reason, St. Anthony of Padua, everyone knows St. Anthony, right? If you lost something, you call upon St. Anthony. Let me give you a piece of advice. Learn firsthand. Never say St. Anthony of Padua when you're in Portugal. Because St. Anthony of Padua was born, baptized, and raised in Lisbon, the capital of Portugal. There's a beautiful chapel there. If you go back, they've got... The baptistry where he was baptized sealed off, but you can see in and you see the, the beautiful font. You see all these, the, the mosaics depicting different scenes from his life. And so since St. Saint Anthony was like the second biggest, third biggest feast day in the country behind Christmas and Easter. 
And for the young children, it, it was a, really was a party for children and young adults, teenagers and young adults. Because it was a time for sort of coming together in St. Anthony, sort of finding your spouse. No kidding, right? Okay, so pray to St. Anthony if you're looking for a spouse. I hope you find that which is lost, I guess. But that was sort of the theme, and Lucia was been looking for it for a year before our Blessed Mother appeared that she was going to get the big hat. I have done a lot of research. I can't figure out why that was such a big deal, but she was going to have this big, beautiful hat and a dress. She was going to be treated like an adult, and it was all kind of going to be special cakes. So Lucia, uh, Maria Rosa was convinced, oh, she'll never go up there. She's going to stay here for the party. And so this brings us to the second part of our, our uh, lesson for our conversion, and that is that we have to choose God over ourselves. There are m so many times that, especially our young people, they'd rather you know, go spend uh, the day with someone else than actually go to church. We want to go to the soccer match versus coming to pass. I don't know how many times I, I can tell you as a priest, I've had a conversation and say, hey, did you go to mass last weekend? No, we couldn't. We had our soccer tournament. And I said, there was no church anywhere in all of Columbus. Well, there was, Father, but it was a tournament. We, we were trying to get that trophy. And, you know, we sort of take that approach where we put God second, third, fourth, or fifth in our lives. There are times when we get up and we say, you know, today I'm going to say my prayers, but I, I've got to get through all my to-do list. And we get to the end of the day and we said, man, I was so busy, I, I forgot to pray, so tomorrow I'll do it twice. Well, then tomorrow rolls by and we said, man, I forgot again. So what we're saying then is that all of these other priorities are more important than God. But if we are to have a true journey, a true conversion, in which we want to do the will of God, and we're going to demonstrate our faithfulness by listening to his word, and I want you to come here for six consecutive months, sometimes it means I have to let go of what I want for him. Prime example. This was not what I envisioned when I was 26, 27 years old. I was actually playing pro beach volleyball. I was actually dating a, a, a model and a volleyball player who was, uh, for New Mexico State University. I kind of had the idea of what the world wanted, but God says, hey, I want you to do something separate. This is sort of letting go of that, right? And there are other times in which it was, you know, this or that, that and this. But the children went. Again, they showed, and again, first thing they, Lucia said is, what do you want? Come back and I'll tell you. But pray the rosary every day. That brings us then, and again, we're going through this very, very quickly. I have other notes if people want to borrow them, or I can give, tell you how to log on to the, the one-hour radio show where we really broke down each month and each of the children's lives and so forth. But we're going to then make a quick journey into the heart of it, which is the July visit. Okay? So in between that June and the July visit. So Lucia and, the, and her cousins, they left the party. They left behind the world to go follow the, the will of God, to follow the command of God, which we have to do as well in our lives. Okay? Mass doesn't become third or fourth on our list. It becomes number one. Praying every day does not become, if I get to it, it becomes the first thing I do. Praying the rosary, which we pray every day. Not simply because, oh, it's a 20-minute prayer. You know, I don't want to get to it, but it, because it's what Mary asked. But again, Lucia is now going to undergo even more brutality from her mother, beating her with the, with the, hand, with the broom handle. Um, again, isolating her from everyone else in the village, sort of hiding her. The rest of the village began to, to mock her and make fun of her in public. So she begins to really struggle. And she finally goes and she sits down and she talks with Father Ferreira. And Father Ferreira, she tells Father Ferreira everything up to that point. And he says, uh, you know, Lucia, I, that doesn't really sound like what Mary would do. I think you're being deceived. I think this is the devil. Well, again, you have a 10-year-old who's being 
abused constantly, being told she's a liar, and now to be told that, well, you could be deceived, this could be the devil. She entered into a great sense of fear. It enveloped her life. She began to hide from everyone, including Francesco and Jacinta. And she, leading up to that, to the uh, July 13th, she began to have vision, these dreams at night that were so vivid, she would wake up screaming, in which Mary turned into the devil. And so she says, I'm not going to go. I'm afraid. And fear, overcoming fear, is the third obstacle that we need to have in our spiritual conversion. Doing the will of God, showing faithfulness, choosing him over ourselves, over our wants and desires, and choosing his will, and then fear enters in. And we can look at it in multiple ways. It, who's married here? Anyone married? Was there any fear the night before? Did you have a little bit of... Believe me, I talked to the couples. You can't lie to me. There's a little bit of the bubbles that roll up into the butterflies that turn into pterodactyls. And like, oh, I'm, I'm about to say yes. I can promise you the night before my, uh, my ordination to the transitional deacon, I spent the entire night in the chapel going, okay, Lord, are you sure? Did I get a wrong email? Did you send it to the wrong address? Are this, am I really the one you want to call? Did you make a mistake, God? I remember asking that at one point. Did you make a mistake? Did I make a mistake? Fear can sometimes grip us and pull us away from the will of God because sometimes what he asks seems so grand or sometimes so small. We're like, I, I, there's nothing, or everywhere along that spectrum, can I do this? And so Lucille told Jacinta, I'm not going to go. And so how do we overcome the fear and the doubt? Well, we turn back to Fatima. Jacinta and Francesco spent the night in prayer. They said, we didn't sleep. We were on our knees the whole night at the edge of our bed. Our friends... And it's important then who we surround ourselves with. Our friends can lift us up and support us. Or they can be people that can tear us down. The group I ran with at college was not Christian. So when I went back and told them, I, God's calling me to become a priest, they laughed and said, let's go to the, let's go to the, uh, to the strip bar and, and get some beers and watch the ladies undress. That was their response. When I had developed the good friends, um, and s some of you know them, it's, uh, uh, well, uh, it's Mark and Nancy Miller and their children, Jessica and Sarah Miller. I think some of you are familiar with them through Emmanuel. They were young. They were, oh, gosh, they were really young. Uh, matter of fact, Sarah was two years old, and I was holding Jessica as a baby. So, but having those friends who began to pray with me constantly allowed me to overcome my own fear and say yes to the will of God. So Jacinta was, or Lucia was able to overcome the fear, and she showed up. And again, July, we're going to take just a second here and look at it, because this is where the three secrets were revealed, that the Immaculate Heart of Mary would triumph, that there would be a, a greater war coming. Okay? Of course, the vision of hell. Because as they arrived, and of course, the third vision, that, uh, the, third, the third secret that's caused some consternation among some people. And we can discuss that after the break if we want but Mary opened her hands after Lucia said, I want to know who you are. And I want you to perform a miracle so that everybody will know that I'm telling the truth. Keep that in mind when we get to the October and the miracle of the sun. Lucia asked for the miracle, not for her, but for everybody else so that they would believe her. Which meant she did believe. She just wanted everyone else to believe with her. And so by surrounding ourselves with, with good people, by being involved in our church, we are around others who believe as well. And we're able to more fully express our belief in God. I mean, it's always easier when we go to a retreat, you know, to, to praise and worship God as opposed to walking down the street. One of my dearest friends, she's uh, in her 
junior, I think her senior year at, uh, she, anyway, one of her final years at Steubenville. And she spent a little bit of time in a convent. She was down in Cincinnati. It was in my parish. And just this beautiful, beautiful young lady. I mean, she literally was five foot one, beautiful blonde hair, almost seemed kind of shy at first until you got to know her. She had the courage one day to grab her youth group, pick up her guitar. They went down to the Kenwood Mall, sat in the food court area, and began to have a praise and worship concert, just impromptu. You talk about some courage, right? I mean, most of us are not going to walk down the street giving a hallelujah to God down the middle of the street, especially not Catholics. We don't like to do that. You know, I get in trouble at the gym sometimes because I, I was at the gym this morning, had my headphones in, and, and I was uh, really cranking out some newsboys, and I found myself singing God's Not Dead a little louder than I should have. And next thing you know, I'm going like, yeah. And I see the walk, guy walk by, and he smacked me upside the head and said, thanks, I appreciated that. And he went on. But, so sometimes you have to be a little careful, all right? Because, again, there are always going to be some kind of obstacles. I'm going to tell you a little side joke here with that. Not a joke. This really happened. About uh, two weeks ago, I, was go I go to the Y every morning after Mass. I literally, so I can't get distracted. I, I know it doesn't show, but I've really been men. We've lost 165 pounds in three years. So, yeah, we're, we're doing there. Thank you. I couldn't do that a year ago. This stage would have collapsed. But anyway, I go to the gym every morning. I actually pull my car around to the church. So I actually come right out of the sacristy into the car and go. And I always say the same prayer when I get there because there's, you know, there's so many beautiful people that go to the gym and work out, especially early in the morning. They're just so fit. And I said, okay, Lord, today, you know, I, I just want to make sure I'm focused on you today. I don't want to get distracted by, by any of the beautiful bodies that are in there. And so I pull into the parking lot, open the car door, and the woman gets out of the car next to me, and she was a 45 out of 10. She couldn't have been any more perfect. And I just smiled. And I said, okay, I got back in the car. I went home. I said, Lord, come on. We had this discussion, didn't we? And I heard inside this little chuckle. And I, I, know, I know it was Jacinta laughing at me. And it was sort of smiling. She says, but everywhere you go, there's a temptation. But if we keep our eyes focused on God, sometimes those distractions don't weigh us down. And that's sort of that, what the children would learn from the vision of hell. Because Our Lady opened her hands and the children saw hell. And there's a, there were some pictures that were taken. There was a picture that was taken right before. And you'll see Jacinta standing here like this. Okay, and I had to laugh because every, you know, being, a, uh, being in a Catholic high school and, and being in all these youth groups and all these pictures, every single picture of a teenage girl, they're standing like this. So, and I'm convinced, now here's a seven-year-old in Portugal in 1917 who's standing like this for the picture, that it must be part ingrained in the brain. Correct, ladies? I'm not sure what, you're, what it is, but I had to laugh when I saw this picture. And there's a picture right after where you can actually see the face of Jacinta. And she's got this just disgusted, pulled back, sort, and she's literally got her head pulled back. And it so radically changed her life that she began to make the most, the, the craziest sacrifices for God to the point that she was so dehydrated one day, and I won't go into the whole story, that she was lying on the lap of Lucia, and she says, make the crickets be quiet. It hurts my head. Because they would give their food, every, every, they would give their food away every day at the well. And when the sheep are going in to drink, and you can imagine that natural spring, all the sheep trotting down there, how muddy the water would be. No, the sheep don't mind. She would drink from that water as well. And so when I got to the, the Fatima, the only time I went, which was uh, for World Jute Day, when it was in Spain in 2011, I drank from that water, and I had to move the guck out of the way. And I said, if Jacinta could do it, so could I. But I said, not because I want to be like her, or not because it's cool, but I want to I make the same kind of sacrifice as she did. And it radically changed her position. 
How many of you actually believe in the, the reality of hell? I hope so. I mean, that's the heart, the, the, right in the center of the vision of, of Fatima was this vision of hell for the children. And Our Lady says, you now see where the poor souls go. And basically, what are you going to do to overcome them, to help them? And that was part of my own priestly journey, studying more and more about Jacinta in that moment, but all three of the children. Because my, my journey back to the Catholic faith, my reversion back to the faith, was because one of my students, teaching at Centerville High School in 1997, brought a gun to school, a 25-millimeter Beretta, the safety shaved off, with the intent of killing me. And he would walk behind me, and I, my aide was able to find out he had the gun. He'd put his finger up to my head. I wouldn't know it, because he used to walk behind the desk. But when that gun was finally pulled out, the voice that was as clear as you hear mine was, if he pulls this trigger, you're going to hell. So the reality of that, 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 the, the real presence of hell became real in the heart. And I was like, wow. And I think so many people today don't believe in the reality of hell. We've had 40 or 50 years of, as priests, we're so focused on the love of God, which is absolute and perfect and should be. But we failed to tell people that there's another side to that coin. And so I just want to challenge you to live for God and to realize that our decisions matter. I had been away from the church. I had been away from prayer. I had nothing to do with God. And at that moment, I would have gone to hell for all eternity. So I just want to kind of point that out there. The children at that point, they are invigorated in their faith, and nothing was going to pull them away. Even the government tried. And so the fourth obstacle that we have to overcome in our faith is to realize that the world does not want us to live out our faith, that the world is working against us. It's trying to pull us away, sometimes in very real, physical ways. Look no further than what's going on in the Middle East. How many Christians over the last two years have been absolutely brutalized by ISIS? Because they're believers in Jesus Christ. We can go all the way back to Columbine. You guys, the older people, some of you remember the shooting of Columbine. I think there's a movie coming out now about the young lady, isn't there? Yeah, there's a, there's a movie coming out, and I, don't, I can't remember the name of it. Make sure you go see it. Do some of you younger folks even know what I'm talking about with Columbine? Okay, I forget. I know. It's some, you're very young. I wouldn't refer to that at all. 18? 19? Did you get ID'd for your drinks? And a half, okay. All right. But anyway, the, 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 the young guy asked the girl, are you a Christian? She said, yes. You know, we just had that again, you know, more recently up, at the, uh, up in Oregon and so forth. We see this constantly. And so if someone were to walk into this bar right now and walk up to you and say, are you a believer? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Are you going to stand up and say, praise the Lord, yes, I am in the face of all evil? Or are you going to say, well, the person next to me is, but not me. You know, I, you got it. Good. She's over there going like, he just said that. Yeah, I know. But so often we want to pass the buck to the next person. Let them stand up and be strong in the faith. And what do I mean? You're out with your friends and they say, what movie are we going to go to? And it's filled with junk and we're like, okay, well, all right, well, you make the decision. I don't want to. When you know deep down within you shouldn't be going to the movie. One of my favorite examples of this was I was uh, a deacon or maybe I was newly ordained. I was at a family over in Beaver Creek. And the mom, just they live, they live in Florida now, and their 17-year-old son came in, and he had just got done seeing that movie, Eight Mile, about Eminem, and every other word is F for this and F that and this and that, da-da-da, you know, all, all hipster and gangster-like, you know. Um, and, she, and he was talking, he said, what was, what was, there were some good parts of the movie. There was some bad stuff in it. And she, she handed him this brownie. She said, here, I made these brownies. Go and eat one. 
He took a big bite, and she says, oh, by the way, I put just a little bit of cow manure in it, so if you get a bite of that, don't worry about it. It's okay. The rest of the brownie's okay. You get it? So often we're willing to accept that little bit of crap among, the, among everything else. But if we are going to be firm in our faith in the face of the world, then we have to be like the children because they were arrested. Seven, nine, and ten. They were arrested and they were taken to prison. And they kept trying, this, this Arturo, uh, I forget his full name, Arturo or something, he kept trying to uh, get them to tell the truth. Because remember I told you that the priests were afraid that the government was out to get them and the government was afraid the priests were out to get them? They were convinced that the children were working for one of the old priests who was trying to, trying to stir up some controversy and overthrow the government. And the priest did not stand up for the children because they thought it was a plant by the government. And so again, that's how in that situation the children were left alone. Even to the point where they were taken into a room and they spent the night in jail with some hardened criminals. And Francesco had the courage to walk up. They were going to, he says, we're going to pray the rosary. Jacinta says, we're going to pray the rosary. They put a little medal up on a window. And he walked up to one of the hardened criminals and he says, we kneel and we take our hat off when we pray. He took the hat off of the man in prison. That's courage. And our journey of conversion, there are times in which we are going to have to say God first and in the face of a world that is trying to silence our Christian beliefs. You do realize that a, a, a one of our, our politicians, a high-ranking politician, recently said, I'm going to paraphrase, Christians must change their beliefs in terms of abortion and so forth. Okay? We must change our beliefs. Are you changing? Is the world so important that we're willing to look at the Bible and say, well, we have to throw that out. We have to throw out the sacred word of God in the Second Vatican Council in their document, Dei Verbum, Second Vatican Council, which everyone said was going to usher in the new progressive age. Right? Now, some of you have heard, and that's what we kind of lived through in my, in my era, you know, that the Dei Verbum, one of the documents on the word of God, says that the sacred scriptures are the inspired word of God without error. And so how can we then throw away parts of the Bible because it doesn't match what the world offers? The children were not going to step back as a matter of fact, they stepped forward when, the, when Arturo de Olivia came in and said, I'm going to boil you alive one by one. And they showed them the pot of oil in the other room. If you do not tell me the secret or say this is a lie. So wait a minute. He wanted to know the secret, but he wanted them to say that they were lying. So deep down, he knew it was true too. He could see it in their eyes. And so he took the youngest in, Jacinta, shut the door, and he quickly took her out the other side so that she could make no noise. And the children, the other two thought, well, she's, she's being buried, she's being boiled alive. And Francesco said, it's okay, she's going to heaven. Then they came in, they got Francesco, and Lucia was left alone. And she prayed, it's okay, we're going to heaven. I will not deny Christ or his word or his truth. And eventually the man came in defeated. But, the July, but, but August 13th had come, had, had come and gone. And there were about 15,000 people out to COVID era. And they all say they saw a light come in, land on the bush, and go away. Well, Mary knew they were in jail, but she was showing the faithfulness of heaven. You come here on the 13th of each month, and I'll be here. She knew they were in prison, but she was still there. And the children then came back, and it was at a place called Valenos. Um, again, it's a, one of the trails that the children would take, and our Blessed Mother appeared there. And they sent their, their, his, his older, they sent their older brother, Jao, which means uh, John. They sent him back to bring back Jacinta. The three of them knelt there. And again, our blessed mother said, pray the rosary every day. 
pray the rosary again. And each time she prayed the rosary, it was asked them, it was for something specific, for peace and this and that and that, but always to pray the rosary. There's not much to report in September as far as on the journey other than the faithfulness that we need to continue to show, the patience, continue to demonstrate. One was a young seminarian named Canon uh, uh, Galamba, okay? And he was going to become one of the most important figures in Fatima. He's the one that's going to promote the cause. He's going to do all the work and the research. He went there unbelieving, but he saw roses fall from the heaven. They all did. And they were turning their umbrellas upside down to try to catch them. And whenever they would catch them, they would be gone in the umbrella. But everyone, again, it was uh, Lucia's sister in an interview with Father Robert Fox, who was probably the uh, leading American theologian on Fatima, died a couple years ago. And she said, oh, so beautiful. These roses fell all over the place. And we were trying to catch them, but we could never catch them. The faithfulness of God leads us then to October. And again, the miracle of the sun is beautiful. But it's about the faithfulness of God that he promises you, if you come back, through Mary, you come back on the 13th of each month, I will tell you who I am. She says, I am the Lady of the Rosary. And I wish that a chapel be built here and under the title, Our Lady of the Rosary. And I want you to pray for peace in the world and pray the rosary every day. If you do not and make the acts of reparation, there will be a greater world, greater war that comes. And he says, I want the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Lucia asked our Lord many years later in a private vision, why did you want the consecration of Russia through the Immaculate Heart of Mary? And our Lord's response to, to Lucia was, I want the world to know that it, the triumph of Russia took place through the intercession of my mother so that, the, so that devotion to her Immaculate Heart will be the same as devotion to my Sacred Heart. Our Lord has his mom right there with him. And that's why we, again, is sometimes say we say we worship Mary. No, we don't. We do the same thing that our Savior does. She's been lifted up above all else, save her son. And there are so many beautiful images. One of my favorite was written in the third century. And it says that he who could not be contained was contained in the womb of Mary. The author of all things was now residing in one of his creatures. It's just beautiful things. And so the miracle of the sun, again, it had been raining for three days to the point that there was mud up to their knees as they were walking in the fields. Umbrellas out. And there's pictures you can see where there are anywhere from 80 to 100,000 people there. And when the sun began to spin and dance like a Catherine wheel in the sky, immediately it shot to the earth and back. Everyone was dry. They screamed, it's the end. We're, we've been deceived. We're dying. You know, all this kind of stuff. But everything was dry. The ground, their clothes, everything. They put the umbrellas away. During that time of the spinning of the sun, Lucia, Francesco, and Jacinta were looking at something very separate. They were seeing a beautiful vision from above. And Our Lady under Mount Carmel appeared, St. Joseph, our child Jesus, and they gave a blessing upon the earth. And one of the leading uh, theologians of Fatima in, in uh, Portugal is uh, Father Fernando Silva. And he gave a beautiful description how the three different visions, Mary came back under three different titles, represented the mysteries of the rosary at the time. You saw Mary in the Annunciation, you saw her in the Sorrowful, and in the Glorious. Okay, so when we look again, I'll wrap up with this and we'll take some, some break and some questions. The journey of the conversion that is taught, beginning with the angel who prepared the children to receive this heavenly visit. And I want to just circle back just for a minute for this. Please bear with me. How bad am I doing? I'm not doing it bad. Okay. I want to circle back a little bit. When the angel appeared to the children that first in that prayer I taught you, 
He told them to, to, to you know, make other sacrifices and, and so forth. The children went back and started doing what children do. They were back playing around the well, and the angel appeared to them. They were playing a game called Buttons on the well there around the COVID era. It was kind of like a game of forfeit. Kind of like, remember, we, well, my genera generation, we used to play marbles. And if you knock someone's marble out of the circle, you got to keep it. Buttons is along the same way. If you won the contest, you got to keep the other person's buttons. They had to take them off their shirt or off their wherever it was. The problem was Jacinta would never give them back. So everybody else would go home without buttons on and they'd get yelled at. So they quit playing with her. But they went back to doing what, we, what children do. And the angel appeared and says, what are you doing? Pray, pray a great deal. The hearts of Jesus and Mary have, design, have designs of mercy on you, for you. It's so easy for us to walk away from a talk like this or to walk away from mass or to walk away from a retreat, walk away from World Youth Day or the Encounter Dayton or the Awakening event that we had this summer up at Transfiguration and say, man, I, and life just got out. I, I just got caught up in life and I forgot about Jesus. I think the biggest sin that we run into as Americans, the biggest challenge to conversion to our faith, American, sort of Western culture in Europe, is that we are so blessed in general. Yes, we're dealing with a lot of civil unrest now that needs to be addressed on multiple fronts. But we are incredibly blessed that we can sit down with multiple smart devices, computers, multiple TVs, 15,000 channels that we can surf through. You know, we can spend all night Skyping, chatting, Instagramming, whatever else is out there that you all play with, to the point that we sometimes forget about Jesus. It's not that we intentionally do it, but we sometimes just like, oh, yeah, you know, a couple weeks went by, I just didn't even realize it. And the angel appeared and says, pray, pray a great deal. And shortly after that, he gave them Eucharist at the next visit. Again, he taught them another beautiful prayer. He put the, the host in the air. A chalice suspended beneath it. The host began to drip blood into the chalice. And he, they knelt down. They prostrated themselves before this beautiful Eucharist. And they prayed, Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I adore thee profoundly. I offer thee the most precious body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, present in all the tabernacles of the world, in reparation for the sacrileges, outrages, and indifferences by which he is offended. Through the infinite merit to the most sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary, I beg the conversion of poor sinners. They prayed that three times. The, host, the angel took the host down, gave it to Lucia, who had already made her first communion. The other two had not. He took the chalice and gave it to each, each of them. Francesca Jacinta asked, what, what, did, what, what did we receive? Or Jacinta, excuse me, Francesco said, what, what was that? And Jacinta said, didn't you see the blood? It was the Eucharist. And Francesco said, I felt Jesus within me. Whenever, when they were sick, the, our Blessed Mother told them at the June visit, or the, excuse me, the May visit, she said that they asked, will we go to heaven? And she said, yes, Francesco and Jacinta, I will take soon, but Lucia, you will stay here a long time. You stay here for a longer time, she said. Francesco died about a year and a half, almost two years, about a year and a half after the vision. Jacinta died two years later after the vision. She was uh, in, in 1920. She had a hole because of the influenza. They had to open a hole in her chest. And again, medicine at the time. So it was all full of gangrene and pus. And the smell was so gross that she was in a little tiny room in Oriem, uh, the town. Uh, and then she moved to Lisbon in the hospital where there she finished out her days with Mother Godinho. Godinho. And the smell was so bad that doctors would put a clip on their nose, then the mask over, and they'd walk in. 
the night that she died, there was an oil lamp next to her bed that had run out of oil. Mother Godinho was going to fill it up the next morning, but it was night. And all of a sudden, the light flicked on with no oil, and the smell in the room went away. She died, and the room was filled with roses, the smell of roses. When they opened the bag that she'd been buried in to move her to, the, to Fatima, to the gravesite, then later into the basilica, in 1935, she died in 1920, they unzipped the bag. She was partially incorrupt from the, sh from, the he from the shoulders, kind of the chest area up. But they said that she actually physically aged by about 15 years in, in the grave. And the priest at the time said that her, her body now matches her soul, that she was such a beautiful soul. And they unzipped the bag, and the smell of roses just wafted everybody. And the priest there, who later became the bishop, said, whoa, okay, we got a saint here. He didn't say, whoa, we got a saint, but you get the idea, right? Okay. All right. He said it in Portuguese anyway. All right. So the path to conversion is doing the will of God, understanding that it's going to be, it's going to take patience on our part, that through patience we demonstrate our love for God, that we have to overcome our own wants and desires for the will of God. We have to overcome fear and doubt that can creep into our lives. We have to realize the world is working in opposition against us. Jesus said, the world will not accept you because it did not accept me. Right? The faithfulness that we then demonstrate by overcoming the world, the faithfulness of continuing to show up, and of course, the faithfulness of God. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The beauty of praying the rosary, it is considered the second most powerful prayer that we have. There was a beautiful image that someone had once of the, uh, I think it was the image of Our Lady Perpetual Help, and there's an angel up here. And the angel would go and would take the, the Hail Marys, carry them to Mary, and she would kiss them, and they would turn into the roses that the angel then carried up to heaven. Okay, so there's some beautiful imagery, but even more importantly, when we pray the rosary, we are asking to the one who held Jesus as a baby, who fed him, nursed him to be specific, changed his diaper, helped him learn to walk and talk. Okay, we're asking to see Christ through the eyes of Mary, through the person who knew him most intimately. And just like we could go through and say, look, here's where we found out we were pregnant, here's where we went to tell the family, Here's where we, the birth of our, of our, of our child, here's the baptism, uh, here's this, here's this, here's this. When we pray the rosary, we're asking Mary to open up her wallet, to open up her iPhone, and to show us the images of the life of Christ, her son. And no one, I, folks, listen, this is no slam on fathers at all, but no one, no one loves their children like mothers. I did uh, six months working down at Lebanon Correctional Institute, maximum security prison as part of my, my seminary training. And I can remember time after time talking to these moms. And they would say, oh, but Johnny's a good boy. At the time, I was just Big E. I wasn't Father Big E yet. They say, oh, Big E, Johnny's a good boy. I said, ma'am, Johnny bludgeoned the guy to death. I know, but he's a good boy. Joey's a good boy. He butchered 12 people. Yes, but he's a good boy. Moms can only love their children, right? And sometimes dads even feel like they take a second fiddle to moms, right? If you get a boo-boo, you don't run to dad. Who do you run to? 
mom so that mom can put the magic kiss and make everything go away. I'm convinced that if a kid Kate lost his arm and came running up and said, Mom, kiss it, she kisses it, he'd be fine, go running back out because Mom kissed it. It's got to be better. Dad simply says, how'd you get it? All right, well, go do it again. Get the other arm, you know. But, but moms are very, there's that intimacy, that umbilical cord. The very first sound that the incarnate word of God heard was what? Anybody know? The heartbeat of Mary. Babies can hear the heartbeat of their mother. And the very first word that the Son of God incarnate heard was the heartbeat of Mary. Moms always know this instinctively. They got their little newborn or even up to maybe a few months old and they give it to someone to hold and your best friend comes in, oh, let me hold the baby. And you're like, oh, okay, be careful. And the baby starts squawking and mom immediately takes it. And what way does she hold it? Every mom holds it exactly the same way. Left arm, head right here. The baby begin, I know that. I know that. I know that, I know that heartbeat. Moms will never, when a baby's crying, put it in her right arm. They will take something out of their left arm to hold it back in their left arm. Watch. I've been in church for long enough, and I've seen the, the, the crying go on, on. The mom immediately puts that baby next to its heart, and it knows. So when we pray the rosary, we're asking to hear the heartbeat of Christ, or Mary through Christ. We're asking to be held in the same way that Mary held Christ. We're asking to see. That's the power of the rosary. And that's why John Paul II, all the way down, all the way back to the very beginning, talked about the power of the rosary, all the way back to St. Dominic. Okay? And it's become that, again, an opportunity for us then to unite together. And she said, pray it every day because, again, she's wanting us to focus on her son every day. Because when we pray the rosary, we're focusing on Christ through the, the repetitious prayers. Okay? Whoever asked that question, does that help? Okay. Any other questions? Okay, a couple parting shots I want to leave you with because, again, in the age of the Internet, you do realize that every story on the Internet is not true, right? Okay. Problem is there are a lot of false stories about Fatima. There are two major camps in the, in the United States in terms of Fatima. The one sort of was the, the world apostle of families and so forth and, and under Father Fox out of, down around uh, Hansville and EWTM. And the other was sort of through Father Gruner, who was sanctioned by the, by, the, by the church for basically heretical views, okay? This is important, okay? There are some who maintain that the third secret was not released in its totality. It was, okay? Lucia herself said so. There are others who say that the consecration of the world to Russia, which John Paul II did on March 25th, 1984, they say it was incomplete, Lucia herself, in a letter to Father Fox, said, Mary said it's all good. Paraphrasing. All requirements have been met. The obligation has been done. The other thing that you will see popping up, and I've seen it more and more, there, there's a, some, some bad information out there. Are you, have, are you familiar with the, the St. Michael the Archangel prayer and how there was a vision by Leo the Thirteenth, okay, and it was a dialogue between Satan and heaven, between Satan and Jesus, and Satan says, if you give me more time, I can destroy your church. And Jesus, knowing he'd already won the victory, he'd already defeated Satan for all time with the cross, said, fine, what do you need? And Satan and he so basically says, the 20th century is what he says, 100 years. There are some who maintain that that vision took place on, on October 13th, 1984, 
which then fast forward, do your math, brings us to the beginning of the Second Vatican Council in which Satan destroyed the church. Okay, so again, you'll find those who are pre-Vatican II who, do, who don't believe the Vatican II was legit, and they try to use Fatima. They'll say that the visions of Garen Bendal were the completion of Fatima, that, that Medjugorje is the completion of Fatima. Please understand, Fatima has, has stood alone. We are still living it out by praying the rosary every day, but the three secrets have been revealed. Okay? I just want to point this out because I, I keep trying to squash these things when I see them pop up on, on the... Um, on the people on Facebook pages. Here's a great story. And I'm like, it's false. Okay? It's not accurate. The church says that the vision, they believe the vision happened with Pope Leo, but the St. Michael prayer was actually started under Pius IX and eventually made its way in through Leo the Thirteenth. So, but it didn't, there's no official date of when that happened. Something that magnificent, we would have a very clear date, you know, that this is when it is. Okay? So I just kind of want to point that out. I want to point out a couple more things. I'm always asked what the best books to read. Yes, the three secrets are that the Immaculate Heart of Mary will triumph. Okay, in the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. Uh, it's about the consecration of the Immaculate, it's about consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the collegial, all the bishops together. It had been done multiple times, but not in collegiality. Uh, and even John Paul II did not do it collegially, but after his assassination attempt, he then did it on March 25th, 1984. The second one was the vision of hell and the prayer that we pray at the end of the rosary. Oh, my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. And the third secret of Fatima was a vision that at the same time they saw hell above her right shoulder, they saw this apocalyptic scene that was sort of, it's kind of hard to, Lucia couldn't even describe it, but it was about the man dressed in white walking, fighting through the city and bodies falling left and right. And then he reached the top of the cross and he was found in blood. They believe it was the assassination attempt of John Paul II in which he said the hand of Mary guided the bullet that he should have died that day. That a professional, and you all know the story, that that professional assassin from the, uh, that the Bulgarian KGB had paid to, to assassinate John Paul from point break range, the bullet zigzags through his body and misses every major organ by inches, by millimeters. So it's, very long. Uh, it's actually four pages in this, um, but that's that's the visions, and so it's supposed to then talk about the martyrdom of the 20th century. the The 20th century was the bloodiest century in the history of the church. That if you were to take all of the martyrs from from uh, from uh, a 19, from 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 1901 and go all the way back to the time of Jesus, during the 20th century there were still more than all the other centuries combined. All the other years combined. Bloodiest, okay? <laughs> and so that's what it was referring to. Fatima, in Lucia's own words, is the best book. Because it's her words. It's her story. Make sure you get the edition, this edition uh, put out in 2007 because it has the appendices with the uh, Immaculate Heart of Mary, how it would triumph, um, but also then the final secret and the, at the time, Cardinal Ratzinger wrote a beautiful piece describing theologically and spiritually about that. So this is the best one. Another fantastic book is Fatima Today by, by Father Fox. Um, and there's a couple others on Jacinta. Uh, they're very hard to get there out of print. Finally, please, please, please read about Fatima. Um, understand what it is Our Lady's saying and asking. And uh, get to know the lives of the three seers. Okay?
Um, and again, it's been a real privilege. If everyone would stand, I'll give you a final blessing to send us forth tonight. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace.